you have to position the audience to hear the message and to read it and to receive it the way you want them to receive it. How do you do that? How do you connect with them? So we've gotten it down to a bit of a science because we've done this so many times and because we did start out and cut our teeth on small businesses. And it's it's helpful to have all that behind you because then you can test for certain assumptions and you can ask all those questions to figure out exactly how they're positioned so you can do the job the way that you, know, you should. And also because we mostly work with some consumer brands, but we work a lot with B2B companies. So then there's no real mysteries. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm talking to one of my early networking buddies who became a friend and neighbor, boss of her business, Jean Tang. When I met Jean almost 10 years ago, we were both in the first stages of our businesses, just working for ourselves out of our respective homes in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, networking our butts off, me and my graphic design company, and she selling her writing services to small businesses. Well, in those 10 years, Jean has built her company, Marketsmiths, into a seven-figure business with 16 writers and a roster of high-profile clients, including LinkedIn. As you'll hear in this episode, she had a hand in some pretty significant moments in my business, and it's so fun to reminisce about the parallel journeys we've been on that have led us each to build mighty but very different businesses. We spoke recently and covered topics such as how to become famous while networking, when good copy is just not possible, and what you as a business owner must do to fix it, how to get the most out of hiring a copywriter, Plus, we brainstormed ideas for repurposing my content, and Jean gave some pro tips which you can apply to your business too. So buckle up, here we go. Hey Jean, welcome to the show. So happy to be here. Jean, we have we have had such a long friendship. I feel like we started our businesses kind of around the same time, 2011. What about you? Oh yeah, 2010. We're about to yeah, hit 2010. That. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and... You've been such a dear business friend of mine for so long and then became a real friend of mine and now are my office neighbor. I, I think you have set your mind to building something great, something different than what I'm trying to build, but you have done an amazing job and you've just been growing year after year and specifically in the last year, I mean, you've just blown up. So I just really wanted to have you share some of your, your brilliance with us. So tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah. That means a lot to me to hear from you, Pia, because I admire you as a businesswoman. And I know that we always have a mutual exchange of ideas where I always take something away from our conversations. Me too. uh, Beyond personal satisfaction. So, uh, (laughs) Yes. So my business is a copywriting agency, which means that we focus on the words for businesses to grow their businesses. And, and that encompasses a whole lot of different things. But I think of you as, or, and maybe I'm forcing this on you, but I think of you specifically for very large companies because I've been wanting you to only be for very large companies for years. <laughs> well, it was actually a piece of advice you gave me and not too long ago, sort of pointing out something that should have been really starkly clear to me. And that's one of the benefits of our friendship. We definitely help very large businesses. We also still do take the occasional small business slash solopreneur slash startup project. So we used to, as we started, we wrote website copy, a lot of website copy, brochures, some pitch decks and things like that that were more sort of what you might think of as bottom of funnel pieces that people get right before they buy whatever it is, service product. And that has shifted with the increase in content marketing needs and companies also increasing their their budgets and their growth marketing teams and all of that stuff, all the efforts um, that go towards what they're doing to grow their businesses and deliver leads to their like field sales teams and things like that. So we are largely serving departments like that in order to give them lead magnets like eBooks and white papers and give them like email campaigns and landing pages and all kinds of stuff that they can then take um, and use and, and get more business for their themselves. Right, right, right. Those larger companies just have vast content needs and you guys are able to service all of them in a way that a very small business or like a solo copywriter 
really wouldn't be able to at all. Right, exactly. One of the value propositions is if you're a marketer, you're a strategist, and you work for one of these companies, then your job is probably to be strategic and then to oversee various agencies who are executing on your strategies. So you probably want to not spend your time rewriting stuff or revising stuff or giving a ton of comments when the writers should have known better, or like searching for new writers because your other writers couldn't do the job. And the value proposition that we offer is let's Let's free you up to do your job and to push those initiatives through all your internal stakeholders while we actually execute in a way that can leave you free and clear. And to your point, we can do that at scale because we have a potentially and theoretically unlimited number of writers who can sort of like make projects happen. As it is, our biggest project has involved 15 writers, so it's not exactly infinite. That's a lot of writers to be on one project. Yes. How how many do you have actually on payroll upstairs? And by the way, what I meant by neighbors, literally, Jean has two offices in my office building. I finally tempted you to move in here after I asked you to move in here. Remember? You you were across the street. I do remember. And it is one of my small regrets. I wish I had done it sooner. Because three or four years ago, you worked at Green Desk or whatever it was called across the street. It was actually longer than that. I'm going to say it was about six or seven years ago. Yeah. Oh my God. So you were moving out of the offices across the street, which you also moved into after we knew each other. I mean, you moved into those offices and you were moving out. I was like, come to our building. Our building is great. (laughs) And then you got this other office. Like, I think it was a little closer to your house or I don't know why. Um, Greenpoint wasn't as hip when you, I think it, I think that was part of it. Like Greenpoint wasn't as hip. I remember seven years ago, right? So I remember driving from Williamsburg to work at Green Desk, uh, co-working facility, and it being really easy to park because West Street was completely desolate. And and then I was, and then I know my writers at the time and our staff was all of three, but they were sort of like, oh, this is really out there. You know, let's take the G train. Right. The G train was like a dirty word back then. Dirty word. Yep the coolest place to be. So then when you were moving out of that office that you moved into, I was like, Jean, come to our building. It's so great. And then you took two two offices right above me. Literally, we can hear each other. But luckily, we both have our little, our little, (laughs) I bought my room podcast booth because you had one in your office. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to get one too. So now we are literally, <laughs> we have our rooms stacked on top of each other. I even when we walk, you can still hear us, but we have put rugs down. I don't even know if I showed you. Oh, you did? That's so kind. My, my part, my office part, which is also the conference room. And then where the writers are, you're not disturbed by. So. No, no. Oh, no. I mean, oh, well, thank you <laughs> for doing that. What we wanted was like, oh, you move in. We're going to like bother Pia all day, all day long. <laughs> well, and, and vice versa, because I know you could hear me when I was doing some, before I got this booth, you could hear me when I was doing very, some of my very like, live videos. Well, it was only when I was on some sort of video where I was talking to people because then I have a, you know, a booming voice I'm trying to project. And of course, you're like, oh, God, now we hear every word. <laughs> but don't worry about it anymore because I love my little I work in here. I work in, I mean, I love my little pod. Wow, it's just great. this little room in the middle of our office. I never sit at my desk anymore. Are you standing right now? Yeah. And it's standing. Yeah. And it's standing. yeah that's nice too. And Steve is constantly listening to music or something. And I don't really listen to music when I work. So I need this. I like the silence. But anyway, that's awesome. So anyway, but okay. So you have this big booming business, but first remember when I have this image, this flash image of you and me and Steve sitting in our living room of our old apartment. Remember our like tiny little walkthrough railroad apartment and you were doing the copy for our website. I mean, this must've been like a few months into our business. You did the, I think we actually bartered for this. I think you did the copy for our website. No, I remember paying you something though. I do remember you paying. I, I remember paying you $400 actually. I don't remember. I know numbers oh, that's I remember so funny. for something and you were helping us with the copy of your website. And then we were also, and then he did the images for your Ted talk, like at the same time. Yes. I think that might've been the moon. Somehow. Maybe it, was, it was something yeah. like that, yeah. but you came in and you, you took out your little iPad and I remember thinking, and that was like, 
iPads were like new then or something because I was oh, like, yeah, that's a good so idea. I think we, I know. I think yeah, I bought an iPad because of an you. iPad. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. And that, yes. and that was just it's you, good. right? That was when you were just selling your, your own services then. Was it that- was, it was, yeah. it was. So yes, if you're remembering, it was a few months after you launched and you launched in 2011, then it is true. Cause I was solo back then. And mm-hmm. I had, and my whole vision back then was so different than what it's turned out to be. And I don't know if I ever told really? you. No, I didn't really know anything about business. And I started this business cause I was like, well, for as long as I'm selling my own services, I'm only really going to be able to leverage my time. Mm-hmm. And I really like the idea of passive income, right? And I was like, okay, but I know so many writers who are amazing who could like do this job, which by the way, I think now is no longer true. Like I actually think it's very, very specialized what we do. So anyway, but I knew a lot of writers because I had been a working journalist and I was like, all these journalists that I know who are capable of writing an article, interviewing someone, doing some reporting, blah, blah, blah. And my model was always like, oh, I don't want to hire anyone. I don't know anything about being a boss. Like, let me just like freely get freelancers and then use 1099s and and they can write for us or whatever. And that quickly was not my plan after I met the first person that I met who I wanted to hire and she wanted to be hired and she was young and she had just gotten out of school and she was like, but I want to be a writer and I want to start as your assistant and I, but I want to be on staff and I want to have a salary and all the stuff. And I was just like, well, why not? So that was sort of the slippery slope. And then now. When was that? It was, I want to say it was around 2012 or 13. But she was, she was hired as an admin. She was, yeah. She, at the time she was my assistant. And then and I was she wanted to be a writer. So yeah. She was and I was like, there's no question in time. You'll, you'll be in training. You'll be like an apprentice and then you'll be a writer. And, and she did. But that's a, a common theme. I've seen a lot that people's first hire tend to be the assistant, whether it's virtual assistant, then they're not, they don't see them or on staff. It's, it's, it seems like it makes more sense to bring on the full-time, that first full-time person in that role as opposed to the creative. It's like creative is easier. I was just talking to Amanda, by the way. Uh, Amanda oh, Neville. Cool, Neville. Yeah. Was yes. she at the shop? <laughs> no, she was on the show. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I was talking to her all about her business and her for, and her hires were all project managers. So say, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm noticing this as we yeah. talk about this model, the creatives are the easiest ones to hire last or use as freelance. I mean, it's hard to imagine if I were like an operations person knowing nothing about writing and I started this business, my first hire would be a creative, right? It's just sort of where the gap is for me. So for me, I was like, well, I'm going to be spending my time doing the writing, talking to clients, selling the work, all this stuff. So, but I need someone to send invoices and file our corporation documents and whatever else we did Mm -hmm. back then. So, so that was a natural fit. Yeah. I do think it depends on where you start. So I so do, me, I do some, and I have definitely seen businesses, business models and so marketing agencies grow really fast when they have like a creative and partnered with an operational. Yes. yes. Or like a salesperson partnered with an operational person or finance person or something like that. And then there's like, boom. That's really me and Steve and yeah, so that's what we started as, at that's least. Right. That's, yeah. right. that's right. I think you need both sides if you're going to do a partnership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I because I, I, I no, or you have both. You have to have. Well, no, no, no. But that's a great point. So if you're only one person, you have to have both sides. If you're not going to hire quickly, you, yeah. you if you don't have both sides, you have to hire right away. If you have both sides, or you're willing to nurture the other side of it, right? Then I think then you can be. A, a very successful solopreneur. I mean, I, that that's, I mean, that's so many solopreneurs in my world. It's like, that's kind of the situation they're in. They're always selling the creative, whatever that is, even if it's the strategy or sometimes it's consulting, whatever it is. But I, I consider all of that the creative. That's the meat service. And yeah. they usually have to build this, the muscle of the operations because you need both. And I recognize that sooner or later, I will grow beyond and I will need to start to give up one side. (laughs) And I think, I mean, you've seen some struggles I've had to fill the operational role in my company. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, but you, but you don't do any writing now. 
Oh, well, do you? No, I don't do any writing no. any longer. I do do a, a still a lot of editing QC. So we have in our business, we have sort of two levels. And so there's content strategists, which is the more senior level. There's four of us. Mm-hmm. And some of the content strategists also write. Actually, they all write except for me. And then we split the oversight of the work pretty evenly. I mean, I probably do the, the, the least of it. And then the other three get more. So I'm doing a little bit of oversight still. And I enjoy it and I'm glad. And it's the same way I feel about, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is going to hold me back or something, but it's the same way I feel about helping startups, maybe 10% of our whole picture is that it keeps my foot in the mix. It keeps us strategic and nimble. It keeps me particularly when I'm selling sort of being really connected to the thing that I'm selling. Mm. Um, And also because I'm obviously as the sole salesperson sort of building that relationship with clients, it also keeps me in the mix of like knowing what's going on with them at a very like day-to-day level. That makes sense. That that sounds really important, actually, because the fact that you have three other people who essentially are doing Every, like they could take over what you're doing. Mm-hmm. One could step out, but I see the value of staying in the business and not becoming disconnected and having your finger yeah. on the pulse. So I, I hear something I wanted to ask um, because I noticed this as a challenge for a lot of copywriters or copywriting companies. And I remember us having this struggle when we worked with you because when we came to you, we were so new. I mean, it was the very, very beginning and we were like, hey, can you write our homepage copy? And then it we, we basically were saying to you was like, can you make our brand? Right. <laughs> right. And that's essentially what you you did, like the first iteration of the voice of our brand. But I didn't really realize that at the time. And I'm curious. Yeah. I, I could see how, again, when I think of you for large companies, they have a brand. Right. So your job, your, your company's job is to understand that brand and then write in right. the voice of that brand. But when they're smaller... How do, how do you deal with that? What do you do if their brand is all over the place or they don't really know what it is? Or or how do you, what's your onboarding process? Or can you just speak a little bit to that? Because I think that that's a real challenge as business owners too, when they hire copywriters. The copywriter is sometimes branding them and they don't even realize it. It's such a good question. And I'm glad you asked because, and you know this from writing copy for clients as well. So much of the job is about Yes, finding the brand and finding the tone, but also about figuring out how this client is positioned in their industry and in their market. Not just like, is this a premium service? Is this like a more basic service, more commoditized? It's it's everything around, okay, if you're premium, then you know maybe you're appealing to this segment of this market in this way, because you have this approach and it's all that learning, all of those like insights around the thing that they do to really carefully position it. And then to figure out how to message that so that our job at the end of the day is just to massage the audience into being eager to hear the message that your company ideally wants to get out there. Right. So it's, that's, that's the job is like, there's message. Yeah. But you can't just hit them over the head with the message. You have to position the audience to hear the message and to read it and to receive it the way you want them to receive it. How do you do that? How do you connect with them? So I will say that we've gotten it down to a bit of a science because we've done this so many times. And because we did start out and cut our teeth on small businesses, like you were back then, mm-hmm. you are. And, and it's, it's helpful to have all that behind you because then you can test for certain assumptions and you can figure out, like, you can ask all those questions to figure out exactly how they're positioned. So you can do the job the way that you, know, you should. And also because we mostly work with some consumer brands, but we work a lot with B2B companies. So then there's no real mysteries. Like we've kind of encountered a lot of different industries. We're industry agnostic, but we've done enough finance, healthcare, technology, education, like government work, hospitality and consumer products. Like all those are major areas for us. So we're like, oh, we know what questions to ask to kind of like derive the right insights so that we can kind of dive in. And you're right that when a company is larger, they generally do have branding guidelines and tonal guidelines, and they understand how they're positioned and they tell us versus us telling them or us discovering it for them. So Mm -hmm. that is helpful. But this is actually one of the reasons that we keep 
that one tiny toe in the small business mix. I know I keep bringing it up, but it's like exciting to me because it's, 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 it's a different fun. feeling you get. It's yeah. fun. It's a different feeling yeah. you get from those clients where they're like really need you. And then we can ask questions to discover it because we've been through that process like a few hundred times before in 10 years. And yeah, and I guess the only time you may encounter this yourself, but the only mm-hmm. time ever a struggle is I think when somebody doesn't really know or they haven't decided yet what makes them different. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, and even then we could still probably figure it out and ask the right questions and all that stuff. But sometimes there's, and they're just not, they don't, they don't know and they can't decide and they're very indecisive and they're just like, I don't, none of this is speaking to me. I'll know it when I see it. Right. Which are very hard people to write for because you don't really have a a framework or a goal. Yeah. You don't have the objective of the brand. Yes. Yes. So so if I'm hearing you right, you uh, obviously I, I, I would expect nothing less that if you're, especially when working with small businesses, you are asking them the questions to figure out what, to understand what their positioning is and possibly even answering that question a little more clearly for them than they might know. Like they may not have been able to come to you and say, okay, here's my brand and here's my positioning and here's my, this is, these are the different goals and all of that. But when you ask them the questions, they have the answers. That's a kind of client where you can take it, take it out of them, drag it out of them and then do your work. But when a client is not even able to answer those questions because they're not far enough along or they've just like, don't want to be pigeonholed, which is really mm-hmm. branded, <laughs> then, yeah. then I mean, is, is it even possible to write really great copy for someone who doesn't want to make those decisions or, or won't, won't, fo- won't allow themselves to be focused in a brand positioning? Well, I often feel that when a, when a company is a little more established, when they've mm-hmm. been around, say for 25 years, and I have an example um, that I won't um, share who they are, but we, yeah, please. Examples are always welcome. Yes. So we had a recent situation where um, writing for a New York-based venture capital firm that has been around for 25 to 30 years. When we first did our initial kickoff call and exploratory, which we call a content strategy session, it was a little bit general and, and whether it's because the first time, it's the first time they've had a website, which is kind of crazy. Oh. And maybe because they weren't used to like talking about themselves in a certain way, they hadn't prepared the examples that we typically ask for. It was all just very high level and you can't really write copy from high level. Like you ask for examples, the examples give us the insights that we need to, to make their, what they do come alive for us, that we can really get a clear sense, a living sense of what they do and then do all the work that we do to position them, write about them identify their message and all that stuff. So in the first um, exploratory, it didn't happen. So we needed to have another one in which they got all the great details and we unlocked them. They talked about them freely. And then we were able to write copy that really, really, then they were like, this is, this is fabulous. This is exactly what we needed. So, yeah. So I often do feel like it's like, we're not asking the right questions or maybe we don't Um, Maybe we need to do a competitive audit, step back a second, look at what everyone else is doing in the market. But I'm pretty confident like those methods are the ones that work because that allows us to point to data, right? Because anyone can say it's always subjective. Like the art, the act of writing copy is subjective. Like if you like it, if you don't like it, it speaks to you, it doesn't speak to you. Obviously results aren't objective, they're measurable. But if we're still in the process of creating it, then and most of our clients are like, yes, that's exactly our tone. That's exactly how we should be positioned. That's right. you got the message. Everything is great, but there are a thousand different ways to do it. So mm-hmm. it's best if we can point to data. This is the reason we wrote these words. This mm-hmm. is the reason we opened the page this way and developed the page this way is because you demonstrated that your targets and the, the biggest audience is you know this, and this is how you make sure they're qualified to buy from you. And so we're, these words point people in these directions. So it is in that sense, more of a science than an art. I love it. I mean, I, I write all the copy for our clients too. Yeah. So I'm, I, And I, I want to highlight something that you're saying because it's so, it is so uh, valuable, I think, in any presentation of any creative work, whether you are explaining the whole thing or not is that there is a reason for everything. And even if you're not explaining every little detail, I, I know that you guys are 
presenting it so that they understand why it's been written the way that it has been. And that is how you get clients to go, oh, yeah, I see that. I love it. I mean, that's we do the same thing with design and with copy. And it's funny, even as you're saying this, I don't specifically I don't think about it ahead of time. But whenever I'm showing clients copy for the first time, I will. If they're asking any questions, I'm like, oh, I'll tell you exactly what every sentence is doing. Of course, every sentence has a purpose. That's why I wrote it. (laughs) I can tell you based on every answer you gave me because none of this is fluff. This sentence is giving you voice. This sentence is talking about that. We want to position you as this X, Y, Z. But the power, I mean, I'm just so glad you're saying that because the power of showing and, and, and giving the reasoning and thinking behind it is so important. And a lot of people just go, do you like this? Oh, you don't? Let me rewrite it. And that's how they get stuck in the horrible cycle of just feedback and revisions over and over again. Right, 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 right. That's probably universal. I will say that there's still this perception out there and I have seen it among big companies, mid-sized companies, small companies, doesn't seem to matter. I do think more experienced companies tend to be a little more savvy about this, but it the, the perception is that a writer's job is to make the copy really articulate and really pretty. And it's not like it's mm. absolutely strategic. It's absolutely branding based. Well, the other thing you just highlighted is that you are for this company, you're creating their brand. I mean, it's this is at this point, I feel like this is so obvious, but I'll say it right now, just in case it's not obvious to somebody listening, your brand is not your logo and your colors. Uh, that is part of your visual brand. Your brand is everything, including your voice and your copy. And your copy is so critical to your brand. So if you're coming in for a client and figuring this out for this venture capitalist firm and writing all their copy, you're creating their brand. I mean, yeah, in large part anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with that. And then we're talking about it in a copywriting context, but mm-hmm. let me like shift it a little bit to a content context. So yeah. I think with copy, it's it's interesting to talk about because it's a little bit less known that there's strategy involved. And I think everyone will acknowledge how important their website copy is, but in different ways. Like some people are just like, well, we need it for verification purposes. But look, this can get you leads. This can drive the leads home. You're spending all your you know, time and focus on like content marketing. Well, where is it going to point people to at the end? If it points into the website at all, then your website is the sales engine that drives them home, um, the leads that is. So, but from a content perspective, I think it's a little bit more understood and a little bit less like mysterious of a process, but it's sort of like, okay, we're writing an ebook. Like we wrote one about the future of autonomy. And there are so many different approaches you can take to an ebook of that import and of that scale. Mm. And so sometimes it is just like, what's the most efficient way to engage the audience and get them involved in this material? And and it has a lot to do with the brand too and how the brand expresses itself. The content strategy is just continuing the brand. Yes, it is continuing, absolutely extending the brand. Extending Uh, the brand, better word. yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's different or the same for small businesses? The, the difference can be with small businesses, they may need more handholding in terms of how to brand themselves and where they're positioned. They also will sometimes need some handholding in terms of like, what are their topics and what are they experts on? What does thought leadership mean in their context? And, and really, sometimes this stuff is really just obvious to us because right. we're like, wow, you know a lot of things that, that a lot of people don't and want to know. Mm. And they don't necessarily know to get it out there because they think it's obvious and they think there's nothing really that they offer, but they do. They offer a lot. So sometimes we'll need to sort of step back and discover those things with these clients. Right, right, right. Do you do content marketing for small businesses? I would imagine that's a little out of reach price-wise. Yeah, pretty minimal. We just took on a startup that's actually based in Italy that that I can't say who it is, but they do cybersecurity and they just needed like a blog once a month. And so we're like, we can blog for you. (laughs) It's it's definitely a lot smaller than a more typical project, which might involve writing about 10 to 20 blog posts slash eBooks slash email campaigns a month. Right. Just... Like yeah. do all that content marketing that people do not want to do. Yeah. And yeah. the difference for us is like, here's one writer and one content strategist for the smaller project. And for the larger project, we're going to kick off five writers, two content strategists, and then go to town. Wow. Yeah. 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 There's not, there's so many writers out there and there's not, I mean, I'm not aware of that many 
agencies that can handle copy and focus specifically on copy at this level? I mean, that's, well, that's I mean, great. You must know them. <laughs> <laughs> you must know others that are available, but yeah, I mean, you're the only person I know. I love it. Okay. So I have to tell this little story. Do you know that I've turned you into like a legend? I'm glad that you're here because I love it. Because Gene Tang is like a mythical creature in some of my in some of my stories that I share. Do you know that? <laughs> You're just tingling at the top. I, think, I have no idea why it's happening. Yeah. Now that explains it. I don't know if you've ever heard this um, story before, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it quickly. And I, I must, I don't know. I've told it many times, um, but I don't remember where. So like two months into my business, I fell into networking and BNI. BNI. Uh oh boy. And, uh, you know, because actually we applied for something on Craigslist and the woman that hired us, she invited me to her BNI group. And I didn't know anything about it. And then when I got there and they explained it, man, did it sound like the answer to my prayers because I had just been using Craigslist to find, <laughs> find work. This is how little I knew. And we started, by the way, I was just refreshing Craigslist for two months. Finally, mm -hmm. I, I joined this BNI. It's like $1,200 for the year. That was the most I had ever spent. It was terrifying. <laughs> and I start networking, networking like crazy. Anyway, I don't know how many months in this happened, but at some point I had been told about, oh, you should talk to Gene Tang. Do you know Gene Tang? Like a, a hundred times. It was like everybody I met because, you know, the whole thing about BNI is, oh, here are other people you should talk to. And you're like trying to introduce people to other people. Well, everybody knew Gene Tang and everybody told me I should meet Gene Tang. So at some point I was like, first of all, I got to meet Gene Tang. And second of all, I want to be Gene Tang. Who is this woman that everybody is talking about her? And then we finally met in Florida of all places. Remember, I came to Lisa Sky's house. Huh? That's right. Because we couldn't match up. Just, just yes. like this podcast where we had to reschedule five times. We couldn't link up yeah. until you were in Florida. And so was I. Like 20 minutes away from you. Crazy. I know. So I use that as an example to people because I, I set my sights on, I want to be Gene Tang in the sense that to me, Gene Tang, who is now a mythical creature, is like the representation of somebody who is just doing the work to be known by everybody. So to me, it was like in BNI, you were famous in that because it's a world, right? We, we all know it's a world. And in, in New York City networking, you can like tap into these worlds. And if you go to certain events and you stay on the radar, you'll see the same people. And, and there's certain people who always show up and there's a handful of them. And we both know the handful of people, more than a handful, but you were kind of the ringleader of that. So I actually like set, like I dedicated myself to meeting everyone I possibly could going to every event, just being out there as much as possible until it didn't take me very long, but I felt like I had reached Gene Tang status when, when I started getting introduced to people and they would say to me, Pia, like five people told me I needed to meet you. It's like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I was going for. Well, I think that's awesome. <laughs> and I'm glad that I inspired you even before we met. But I, I will say that's so funny. So I will say that I've had several experiences where I assume that people don't know you and you come up in some context and they're like, Pia, I know Pia. So so there, there it is. There's the proof that you, you've done it. Um, and I also love, I'm amused by the fact that you said Jean Tang versus Jean, because I mean, Jean is not a very common name, but for a long time with B and I, it was like wondering why does everyone always use my first and last name together? Always. <laughs> um, oh, well, because in networking, you basically name. say everybody's name. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, yes. You're not yeah. going to say Jean when you're networking with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But yeah, and it actually is funny and very nostalgic for me because, yes, it's true that um, so I have a very social personality, as do you. Yes. And we just love to be out there and meet um, people until networking sort of became like, or small business networking became like not where I needed to be anymore. And so I, I left my BNI group. It's been... When... Has it really? Because it felt like you you were there for you were there for a couple of years longer than you should have been just because you enjoyed it. <laughs> right, and I still do have some friends in yeah. those groups. But yes, I I do think I I wore out my well well wore out my welcome. I think I still enjoyed it, and but it wasn't it sort of outlived its usefulness for me. 
And I actually wrote about it in Forbes, which I was reminded of the last time I visited, which is the first time I visited in however long it's been since I left, and it wasn't too long ago. Right before this whole coronavirus shutdown, I went and visited my oh, old to visit. Was it were there a lot of the same people? A lot of the same people were really? still definitely you were, a lot of faces. You were in like four, years. four or five years is a long time to not be a face. So a lot of people look at me sort of be like, I you look really familiar to me. Who are you? <laughs> uh, um, you were also in like the famous chapter. Like your yeah. chapter was the like lucky sixty-two or something. That's right. They've actually <laughs> it? rebranded. They've rebranded. Oh, they, they rebranded something else now, elevator, no. something like that. But yes, we grew. When I first joined, I think we were like 30, 35 members. And but when I left, it was like over a hundred. It was amazing. Oh my God. Well, even I had fun whenever I would come visit your chapter. Yes. Um, rapping, singing. I once hired oh, yeah. a busker to write a song about copywriting, which yeah. I still have a recording of. It's really cute. I mean, you know, that I was in and out of networking. I mean, I probably networked hardcore for a year and a half and then I and then I stopped completely, but, but I went hard in that year and a half. And, and part of it, especially, you know, once I made friends with people like you, like I would go to those events and that's when I knew it was a waste of my time because I would go and I'd be the last person to leave because I was just chatting with people, but none of it was business. Right. right. And, and they say you do, you do business with friends and they, you do business with people you like, know, and trust. But honestly, I got business out of it, but afterwards and all the work I did afterwards got me way more business and way better business. I still keep in touch with a lot of people. I still have a lot of connections from that time and they're all great connections. And I like all those people a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the core of my business was built on content marketing and not, and not networking at all. Now that I'm going down memory lane with you, we have so many uh, overlaps. So you were in EO too. I, were you ever in EO? I know. Or you were just a friend I, of EO? What's funny is EO. So EO, for your listeners that might not know, is Entrepreneurs Organization. And you have to have revenue of a million or up to qualify. So for the first seven years um, business, I was like, I want to qualify for EO. I want to hit that million dollar mark. And, um, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I didn't. The year that we hit, and exceeded it, I went way past that goal, right? So mm-hmm. it was like, okay, we're under a million, we'll never hit it, and then boom, and it was awesome. And then I was like, I don't want to join EO anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that was like my whole goal. And I was like, you know what? I like EO, but I'm going to set my sights like towards $10 million now. 10 years in business is a pretty long time in business, right? Yeah. And we haven't really changed a lot other than our clientele has changed, but what we do is still generally the same. I've definitely seen friends who have decided to go into corporate life, left their businesses. Definitely people have sold and pivoted and are doing other things. They're like, okay, now we've been an agency and now we're going to be a product company and start some software and do something you know different. And, and sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I'm proud that what we're doing still remains what we're doing. But I also realize that that's because I'm the recipient of a trend that I didn't even know when I started my business with a trend in content marketing and how, how that's projected, how big that's projected to be is definitely awesome and in our favor. Which um, trend? Oh, just like content marketing and how oh, yes. years ago it didn't even really exist. Right. Thing. Do you remember when that phrase first appeared in the whole lexicon? It was like, no. thinking, oh yeah, that's good. I got to use that sometime. You know? <laughs> the whole industry and this project right. to be X trillion dollars worth of, mm-hmm. of business. You're right. You and I both started in our businesses in one place. We were really just small graphic design for everything. And you were copywriting mostly websites. Right. Is that right. right? That's right. And we both That's evolved right. in an evolving world, but we were, we rolled with the punches and kind of hopped on the wave because we, we obviously yeah. evolved into small business branding for very small businesses, which is exploding right now. And mm-hmm. you evolved into content strategy and creation, which is a very profitable and amazing offering, especially when you're doing it for very large businesses. I mean, your clients, some of your clients are worth tens and tens of thousands of dollars, just yeah. one contract. I mean, that's a totally different model, but it's a great place to be in. Great yeah. space. I'm, I know. I'm, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for you to get to 10 million. What, what, what's the plan for, well, so let me ask you really quickly, because I, I know people want, 
I know my listeners are dying to know, how do you get these big clients? What's your strategy? Oh gosh. Um, good question. Asked <laughs> by a fellow marketer because mm-hmm. it's our marketing. It is 100 Oh, what a thought. So we're in an industry where we have the resources to practice what we preach. So in terms of marketing, we have no excuses. We are a company of writers, of marketers and writers and copywriters. So if we're, you know, you know, need to improve our website, like we've got the resources on hand. We don't have to hire anyone new. And then the other thing about us is that I know that we, because of what we do, what we showcase on our site is what we do. So we're like, it's not mm-hmm. like widgets, which you have to buy in order to see for yourself how good they are. We have to show video or anything like that. The writing that we write for our own site is, is illustrative of the product, the end product that we're going to give um, clients. Having said that, we really have like no eBooks to our name, which is really sad. However, it wasn't going to be the shoemaker without shoes. So we make sure that our site works. It's really good. It's filled with content. We blog, we post blogs about once or twice a week, unfailingly. And this has been the case for at least seven years, probably eight, not since the beginning, but since pretty early on. Mm -hmm. And so that has given us a lot of SEO creds in terms of a lot of different keywords that we want to, we want to rank for. Yeah. And so I do hear from prospects, large and small, that they Google us. And occasionally when I remember to ask, like, what did you Google? And they'll say this. And they're like, you came up first. You came up second. You came up on page one. Like an article on your site. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, they just find us. They find our site because they put in something with that keyword, like copywriting. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just checking out your website right now. You have 19 pages of blog posts. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes, yes. So yeah, and it goes way back. So so we practice what we preach, we do it, and, and it also shows. So I'm saying that because it's like a slight qualification because I realize that not everyone can show their work as they market themselves. No, but when you can, you better. better I say that right. a lot and a lot of people don't. A like lot of people like take great photographs, do the work. It's right. Not just take great photographs. I see photographers with great photographs that are this big, little right. tiny, tiny, small picture that you can't blow up or see on, on an old website. It's like mm-mm. the the yeah. the experience of viewing photographs is different these days. You got to roll. You got to be up on that. And yeah. same with copywriting. Same with anything. You got to be at the cutting edge of whatever you do. How do we get such? big businesses in our roster, it's because of our own marketing. And I I definitely wasn't necessarily aiming for it in the beginning, but the very first time like a fortune 50 company came knocking, it was through an inquiry on our website page and we responded in disbelief. And and then we're like, okay, this should be the norm. Like this is what we're built for. We're built to give you quality copy at scale. So then we started getting them in earnest. And then in that realm, like there's a lot of word of mouth, word of mouth is probably the best way to get business. And then there you have to work the connections, work LinkedIn. But word of mouth and work in LinkedIn and all of that is greatly fueled by the amazing marketing that you've done. So you can reach out to people on LinkedIn till you're blue in the face, but when they go to your website, you have hundreds of articles. When you say I'm a, we do content marketing and you have hundreds of articles, that is why they answer you. Yes. It's really important. There is, it's a combination of the outreach and the marketing. It's not just do the content marketing and then sit, sit and wait for people to call you. And it's not just go cold call and tap people's shoulders and send them DMs, cold DMs, like, Hey, hire me, hire me. And then not have done the work to, to show what you what you're made of. I also think it's no accident that the biggest companies in the world have often, often, not always, but often have very, very built out marketing departments. A lot of them have like whole divisions of hundreds thousands of people sometimes where they're all marketers and that's what they do. Or there's like growth marketing divisions or whatever. And it's no accident. These companies recognize that that's how you're going to grow. That's the lifeline of your business. And it's true if you're a fortune 50 company and it's true if you're one person. I think people just don't think that marketing, I just think that it's a mystery because it's such a big topic, but it is something you must, I, I, I've been optional. Right. Not only is it not optional, it, I've been telling people, especially when you're small, it's different when you're a large company because then you have a division. You're small. We were talking about different hats. Marketer is one of your hats. 
And it better be a hat that you put on (laughs) and you learn how to wear. Because if you are a one person business, a two person business, you are a marketing company for your own business and you need to act like one. Yeah. And I know we're just preaching to the choir with each other, but I, I am also consistently surprised when even a mid-sized company will say like, our website is good for just verifying what we do to people who our salespeople meet when they're out there networking. And then you're like, okay, yes, this company does what it says. And that's like such a low bar, such a low bar because you could actually be drawing people. And, and with this world we live in where everybody does their research online, they shop online, they buy anything online. So your services should absolutely be thought of as you're setting up an e-commerce site almost for what you offer, even if what you offer is services. And it's just a matter of shifting your mindset to believing that that's possible. But now this is turning into like commercial. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a commercial for marketing in general, which I think people need to hear. So here's another place I just remembered, especially if you're talking about blogging and writing. Another place that we have overlapped and you have influenced me the story I tell of how I got my Forbes column. Ooh. Hey, audience, here's the person who introduced me to her editor. <laughs> the, yeah. the story I tell, remember Peter? Yeah. I think he left. Yes. The story I tell is that you were a, well, first of all, you had written for them for a couple of years before you made that introduction. I don't know if I made it to a couple of years. <laughs> Well, you had, you, had been, say you have managed to retain your Forbes column and I managed to lose it because I wasn't writing enough for them. Yeah. Um, Why not? I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I had other resources and I was yeah. a maker without shoes. I don't, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. But either way, you wrote for them and actually very kindly wrote an article about us mm, at some okay. point. And I remember that was so exciting because that was the first time we had really been written in anything that we were proud of, like a like an actual blog. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, So you wrote about us. And then like a long time later, you introduced me to your editor and you you were like, oh, you are perfect for this. I should introduce you to Peter. Uh And and then you did. And it was easy because as I tell the story. I had a blog of many years writing on small business branding. Yeah. So he thought he, he was willing to, cause he's, cause people have asked me for intros and I made a couple over the years and they're not interested because these people don't have a blog or anything to show for it. How do you remember that? Because I tell the story to people because everyone asks me, how'd you get that Forbes call? And I'm like, look, I wrote a blog for years and years and was consistent and wrote about one topic so that when my friend who had been a writer and had this editor for years, she thought of me when the editor was looking for writers. She thought of me first because I had been writing. So it's not so much that I had a friend. I actually, Amanda Neville wrote for Forbes. Julia Pimsler wrote for Forbes. I knew lots of people that wrote for Forbes and I wouldn't ask, I never asked anybody to make an introduction, but my point was more, you have to be the person that they want to introduce. Right. Cause you put yourself out there and you have such a clear message and you're so good at getting the message out there. And yeah, it was just, is kind of like an obvious thing. That's exactly how I remember it. Yeah. I, and and then, and for me, it was kind of funny because I, I didn't write enough and it's, it was, yeah, I see what you write. And I'm like, it's such, it's, it's very natural message. And, and one thing I will share, and maybe we talk about this offline, but the content marketing, yes, we have a machine and we have writers who are writing a blog and we need to do more. And we're always trying to do more. But when you're a copywriter, the message isn't how do you like when you're copywriter speaking to marketers, the message isn't really like, how do you make your writing better? Which is what is safe to say that I, that's my area. Right. But since we're mostly executing and doing less content strategy, we might partner with a firm like Amanda's to do content strategy. We're not out there saying like, here's how to make your eBooks win. It's less about the strategy, more about the writing, but the people we're marketing to aren't the writers and we don't want to market to a bunch of writers, you know? Definitely not. Right. Um, Which is a perfect example of what is content strategy. So who are you writing to and what are, what is the message to them? Because you're right. Of course, you're not going to talk to writers about writing better. Yeah. I mean, a couple of different things. Here's some big picture things to know about content marketing. Here's some fun ways to think about how copy fits into your 
your whole scheme of things. We generally refer to marketing teams and what they need to do because that's our main audience, a team of marketers at a company. And we might talk about an industry one day, like fintech. Here's some exciting things happening in the world of fintech and ways that people are getting the word out about their platforms and apps. Right. Right, So yeah, tons of case studies if we can. Case studies. Or anonymized ones if we can't. Yes. What if you can't? Anonymized. Oh. We don't always have the right to feature our clients. So yeah. yeah, that's the problem with working with big client. I mean, that's a problem that can come from working with big clients is they don't always want to be featured on your site. They're yeah. Much less likely, right? Well, we try to get the rights to put the logo up. I think uh-huh. in a couple of instances we don't have that right. So uh-huh. it becomes a little trickier, but yeah, we actually have a built-in our contract that we retain a publicity license to be able to show off some of the work. And it is true that sometimes clients don't go for it and they negotiate that that provision away, but oftentimes clients are fine with it. And mm. that's great. Mm-hmm. Nice. Like one of our biggest clients LinkedIn is totally fine. We have a tes- couple of testimonials from them and we have at least one case study, I want to say. We do a ton of work for them, so we should have a lot more, but yeah. Right. That's a great client to get. How'd you get that client? It came in through the website. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Something one day, they wrote us a note and we haven't looked back since. And that was about five years ago. So they were actually one of our first very, very big clients. Wow. So LinkedIn, even though you do lots of connecting and outreach on LinkedIn, found you not through LinkedIn. Right. That's true. They found us through our very own website. They found us through Google. (laughs) Amazing. That's amazing. I, let me ask you for, let's see what you think. I have basically foregone writing on my own website to continue to write on Forbes because it's a lot to write an article a week that I feel good about. And so I continue to put it on Forbes and not on my own website. And because I, I like to say relevant on there because I know that it gets a lot of traffic. Why don't you do little like little summaries or like a take on a different post? Like if you wrote a post on, I saw one by you on the imposter syndrome. So why don't you, why don't you interview someone who thinks they have it? And then you could do like, I mean, this is a lot of work. Because it's another article. I mean, it can. But what you could do is you could gather all the things that you have about under different categories. Like you have tips for entrepreneurs and then you have, you have, I mean, that's probably a lot. Or you have like specific tips specific to branding mm-hmm. and then you have tips, like you gather different departments of things that you write about. If you think of a magazine, different departments, and then you could just give an update every two or three posts and say, if you're looking for this kind of advice, and then you just link to it. So then you're sending traffic to those very same posts, as well as also really prominently featuring your posts and the frequency of them on your website. Gotcha. So, so summarize them as blog posts on my website and link to the Forbes article. Yes, yes, yes. Which is Mm -hmm. easy. In order to avoid thin content, then you just like, you do that with a few posts at once so that you're grouping it together. So if you're writing like a a paragraph or two on each post, you're not like, it's not a super short page because you have about six paragraphs featuring three posts or something like that. Oh, so... So like three short summaries on a post. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean by the... Oh, but, 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 but on the same topic. Which are, yes, which are that like... That seems like something I could hire out for. There you go. That kind of stuff you guys do. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. This is a business discussion. <laughs> yes, you can. And, and what's more, it would be so fun to do that. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of stuff that it's like, I've already done the work. Like I wrote these, I have hundreds of articles. Yeah, you do. I you do really not, do. I do not repurpose enough. Are you putting these out on social? I do. So I yeah. do post everything on social yeah, and I, right. and I kind of, con- I constantly repost these articles. Yeah. So in yeah. that sense, yeah. I don't forget about them. All my social media kind of cycles through and constantly is posting old articles because they're all evergreen and they're all relevant. And I get emails from people like who read a post, who read an article that I'm tweeted and they don't really look at the date and they think I just wrote it because it's relevant and as it should be. 
that's why that's why my social media kind of constantly cycles through and reposts it because I mean I read these posts I'm like I don't remember writing that that's great <laughs> like I would say when did I write this four years ago this is totally timely and exactly what I would write right now right I think that's great and then I would also recommend gathering posts into an ebook because there's no like there's no penalty against like republishing oh yeah you just have to publish it first with Forbes. And in terms of Google, the rules of Google and duplicate content, like you have already published it and you're going to put it in an ebook, like that's not published digitally, right? So, I, right. Well, they, they're not going to scan your ebook. Gather them under these themes into ebooks and you write a quick intro, transitions between each post, pretty much like just duplicate everything. Yeah. And I need to do magnet and do an email campaign that points to one of your courses or I feel the way I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm so glad this is no, no. I love it. I love it. And another thing I would love to outsource because that's again it's the kind of stuff. It's like the part that I can't outsource because my brand is my ideas and thoughts is is the original work. And that's what I tell solopreneurs, like that first, that that original, the the idea itself, the concepts are, you have to come from you. It's different when it's a big company. When you're a solopreneur, the concept has to come from you, but you don't have to actually be the person who like puts the pen to paper or puts it into the, into the format of an article. And certainly not if you've already written the article, like takes it and repurposes it. That could be a conflict of interest, not of interest, but a conflict of like, there's a little bit of a conflict sometimes of approach. It's like when you're the author, then you like it the way it is because you wrote it, right? So then like chopping it up and putting it into different pieces might not be as easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's even, it's yeah. even, it's not only not probably a good use of my time, but it's actually probably harder it's than probably somebody harder. else. Exactly. Yeah. It's precisely the reason that people even hire copywriters. I mean, yes, as we talked about, it's a skill set and it involves a lot of strategy and there's a science to it. But also, and I, this is the precise reason I find it hard to copyright for market smiths. And I need someone else to do the first draft and I'll come in and edit it is that you, when you're too close to something like you, it is hard to write. Mm-hmm. You know, almost every small business conversation I have starts with like, I like to write, but I just can't do this for some reason. Like, right. Oh, same with branding. And that's, they're so intertwined. I'm yeah. so good at finding other people's brands. I'm so good at pulling out the value of other people's businesses, but I can't do it for myself. I hear that every day. Yeah. I'll tell every you why you can't do it for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Hey, and me too. I mean, I have, I, yeah. I can, I can talk yeah. to somebody for two hours and be like, Oh, this is your brand. This is your business. That's what our brand shrink is. But myself as we, cause we've been kind of evolving our brand. It's not so easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. There's a lot of cobwebs in the attic. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for telling us all the backstory of your business. I have so many more questions, but we'll have to have you back on, Jean, to talk I about this. I would love to come back on. Yes. This is like on this hour. Yeah. And, I and I want to hear, and the next time you come on, I want to hear what the plan is to to scale to, a, to 10 million because I really want to hear awesome. your... Yes, that'll be... So we'll leave the audience hanging. How Jean's going <laughs> to scale to 10 million while, by the way, like doing yoga every day and coming over to my house for brunch and all of that, um, <laughs> all that fun stuff. Which I miss. Which I miss too. And yes, we, we see, we don't see each other ever when we're in the office, even though we're a floor away, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we have brunch. I coming to your house. Because then there's food involved. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's more relaxing at my house or your fabulous new brownstone. Is it called here. the brownstone? Would oh, yeah. Consider it a brownstone or is it like a building? It is a brownstone. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Well, it's like a really big brownstone. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Great you. talking to you. Right, bye. Bye. For more information on how Jean's company, Marketsmiths, provides innovative enterprises with ROI driven copy and content, go to marketsmiths.com. As we discussed, there are literally hundreds of useful articles on there. And if you're looking for website copy, you might be a perfect fit to hire them as well. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that makes the difference. 
And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Taking inspiration from Jean today, try brainstorming ways that you can repurpose your existing content. You can also do this even if you don't have content yet, because imagining how you would repurpose it might actually inspire you on what kind of content you'll create in the first place. And creating content that lasts can absolutely be your first step in showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.